Welcome to the show. I'm Mikey. And it's your girl Zay Day. We are two social justice warriors dedicated to dismantling systems of oppression through a black, black queer, queer feminist lens. Feminist lens. Yes, this podcast will cover a variety of topics ranging from politics in our country to which new bop you can twerk to. Hey. <laughs> yep. And while we're twerking, y'all can start following. Search Black to the Future on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Join in the conversation. And don't forget to leave positive reviews for us on your streaming platforms. Yes, please leave positive reviews. With the reach of this podcast, we desire to change the world one episode at a time. Yep, and I think it's time we get started, don't you think? Yep, let's get it! The The past past is gone, gone. the present present is an adventure. adventure. Looks like it's time to to go go black to the future. future. Cue the theme music. (laughs) Yeah. to the future podcast (laughs) i hope you all are doing fantastic out there and no i am not alone i have a lovely guest and i am super excited to have her on the podcast so i have a diversity and inclusion director a consultant, someone who is just a basic and very inspiring, who has their own beautiful podcast called Diversity Dish. We have Sidrola Maruska. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Don't be afraid to pat yourself on the back and be like, yes, I'm that girl. <laughs> I'm here. I'm so excited to be here with you, babe. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so happy. I was um I, I was a guest on your podcast, which feels like eons ago at this point. Um, it really does, right? But then again, it feels like yesterday. It was a great conversation. I just so enjoyed having you on. It was just wonderful. Thank you so much. So, of course, I wanted to return the favor because that's what community does. We work together and build each other. Yes. So, yes. yes. Um, so if you want to tell everyone, um, you're, uh, I already said your name, but if you like to enunciate it and say it clearly <laughs> and your, and your uh, pronouns, and if you would like to share your orientation, you can do that. If not, you don't have to. Yes. So you said it properly. It's Cedrola Maruska, which, uh, you know, something that, that is a very 
kind of cool tidbit about that is that Cedrola is actually my mother's name backwards. So her name is Alordis. Oh. And so that's where that comes from. That... So people are always like, what does that mean? I'm like, it means my mama loves me. <laughs> that is so amazing. Oh my God. Like that's, that is an Easter egg of Easter egg. I love that. Thank you. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> Yes, and so my pronouns are she, her, and my orientation is heterosexual, although, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm kind of fluid, so you know, you know, because I got me some, I got me some female crushes, and, you know, <laughs> all that good stuff, so, but, and I am married. Come on, um, marriage. Yes, we're almost at 19 years. We're almost to 19 years. Praise and praise I, yes. yes. As an as someone who loves marriage and aspiring to be that, I'm just thank yes. you. Yes. Hey. <laughs> so, we have two babies. They're not babies anymore. My son is 15 and my daughter is 10. And so, you know, that's just a little little bit there about me. That is so beautiful. Family, love, and happiness. It's like, oh, it's like pulling teeth to get that to happen now. So I'm just, I am so happy to hear this and like, oh, and you deserve it. You deserve it. All the hard, beautiful work that you do. You deserve family, happiness, love, and success. So thank you so much. And dropping that tidbit, I love that information about your mother's name and then your name. And like, oh, that's so cool to me. Oh my God. Yeah, thank you. It's fun. It's fun. So um, thank you again for being here. At the top of every episode, we like to ask the question because this is a podcast about Black people primarily. Um, We do talk about other, you know, folks and Mm -hmm. things like that. But we like to ask, how is your Blackness? How are you doing as a Black person in the world today, as it were? Uh, That's wow. That's a loaded question, isn't it? (laughs) That's why we ask it. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my goodness. You know, as a black woman um, growing up, I can I can look at so many different facets of so many different things that have brought me to being the person that I am today and um, being who I am today and being a black woman in this world today is exciting. It's uh, empowering, but it's also, um, you know, we have a lot of things that we, we carry underneath, Mm. right. A lot of things that we don't, that we aren't overt about, but that we have, and that we kind of push down and say, okay, well, I'm just going to let that go. We let a lot of things Mm. go, right. (laughs) The way I be looking around, like, okay, I'm going to just let that go. Cause if I snap. That's right. Exactly. Because you know what will happen if you snap. Mm. There's no one there to come and and save you Mm. if you snap. And you don't don't get the benefit of the doubt if you snap. Mm. You do not get to be protected Mm. if you snap, right? You see other people get protected and you know that that is not the level of protection that you have. Mm -hmm. And and yet, um, you know, we're out here doing our thing, living our lives. And, um, you know, I don't like to, I don't 
like to buy into that idea that, you know, black women don't need anybody because we're so strong and we're so this and we're so that at this, you know what I'm saying? Mm. Because you know what? I cry in the shower, mm. right? Mm. I do that. I cry at night sometimes. Sometimes it gets so overwhelming and I'm just, and I'm sad or I'm really angry or I'm really frustrated because, it, and it bubbles up. Mm-hmm because of, you know, that pushing down all the right. time. But honestly, even though I know and I can look back at times in my life where I thought to myself that I didn't want to be black. Mm. I didn't want to be a, a, a woman. I didn't want to be Haitian. I didn't want to, mm. there's so many things that I didn't want to be. But I look at it now and I'm like, oh my goodness, so proud mm-hmm. to be of Haitian descent of the diaspora. So proud to be a black woman in this world right now, even with all the things that come with it, what else would I be? I wouldn't be good at being anything else but a black woman. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because of course I've never been anything else. I see how it interacts in the world, Mm -hmm. but I know for me, I wouldn't be this, this is, this is just what I'm meant to be. And so as a black woman in this world, I'm just, I'm loving I'm loving what I'm seeing all my sisters doing. You know, mm-hmm. I get so inspired by women who are just out here doing the small things, doing the big things, doing the in-between things because it all matters. Mm. Being the amazing moms, being those people that go to work every day and get it done, mm. being those people who are in the front of the crowd, getting it done. Whatever it is that you're doing, I feel so proud of that because there's so much that we could just succumb to and just say, you know, forget it. Mm-hmm. We're, forget it. We're not going to do it anymore. Mm. So for me, that's what it is. Ooh, Lord, you came on here to preach. like <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sitting here just like, ooh, every word, every ping. And so I think everything you said was beautiful, well, very well articulated. It just... I always let people know, like, it's just so paramount that we have to see the the struggles of others and what they go through and things like that. Yeah. And I, and it's not that you're ever going to be able to fully understand or, ex, or, or experience everything that we have to go through. But I think one of the most important things is just trying to put yourself in that situation and see how people are being treated. And particularly us both as black women, you've been a black woman, you know, much longer than myself. Mm-hmm. And so it's like the things that you've had to overcome, the things you've had to face. And I'm sure also in addition to that, being Haitian of Haitian descent has a lot to do with that as well. And so, you know, the idea of like being a strong black woman, everybody loves to say that about us, like a strong, mm-hmm. independent black woman. And I'm like, can I be soft and yes. gentle? Can I be available? I don't get treated with the same compassion and um, I don't know, the, the softness and the gentle touch that like white women get or, or Asian women get, they get this gentleness, this sweetness. And it's like, girl, you can handle this all on your own to us. And it's like, (laughs) I'm like, because I can, doesn't mean that I want to. And the idea for me particularly is that, you know, there have been plenty of institutions that have made it very challenging for us to sustain and to hold on to the men that are black who want to be intimate and da, 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 and have a relationship and family. Mm-hmm. I understand that, but it's like, 
I still want to be soft and sweet and gentle. I want to be afforded that and allowed that. And I don't think we get that very often. And everyone's always like, you can handle it on your own. I'm like, <laughs> but I don't want to. <laughs> right. And that's the thing, right? And the reason that we can handle it on our own is because we've kind of been put in that place where we, you sink or swim, Mary. do it or die. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we can do that. But at, at a certain point, it's kind of like, you know, you're swimming and you're swimming and you're swimming and people are swimming past you and someone's like, oh, I'm tired. They're like, oh, they take them into the boat and they'd be like, no, we don't have any space for you. So you keep swimming and you're just swimming and swimming and saying, you got, can I, can I get a rest? Mm-hmm. I really would love to just not have to do it this way mm-hmm. anymore, you know? Um, so we, it's, yeah, you know, I consider myself a strong person. Mm -hmm. I consider myself an independent person and I can be stubborn, you know, at times I know this, you can ask my husband, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but there are times where I just don't want to make the decisions. I don't want to be strong. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be necessarily independent i'd rather somebody just say hey we're gonna go do this right or you know here why don't you just come in and chill right right? something like that and um so that i could just be Mm -hmm. you know which is why i love 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 my extended family to no end Mm. because that is my that is my respite that is my place of rest you know my cousins we get together it's like nobody has to be anything but who they are. Mm-hmm. And that is such a restful place. Mm-hmm. You know, I can, I can uh, allow, and we, you know, we do it in a way where it's like this choreographed dance where at some point one person is taking control and then they relinquish to the next person and they can rest. And, you know, why can't it just be like that everywhere, right. mm-hmm. you know, where you just kind of can relinquish that, uh. that strength and that, you know. Yes. And, and I, I love that word relinquish. I, I echo that. I want to be able to relinquish the strength. I don't want to be holding on to everything all the time. I want to be able to mm-hmm. relinquish it. And it seems like we're able to do that with other black women and some other folks and things like that. But I really, and this is just me being me, you may have a different take on it. I would love to be able to relinquish myself to a, a black man who is available who's Mm -hmm. willing to have the dialogue and conversation and say, I see how hard you work. What can I do to support? What can I do to add? What can I do to assist you in this process? And by Mm -hmm. virtue, then I'll say, you can do these things. And what can I do to help you as well? It's, Mm -hmm. it's that dialogue and that connection and that level of introspection that Mm -hmm. I personally am always after in that kind of space. So I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure you and your husband probably have mm-hmm. that <laughs> kind of dialogue. At least I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, we do. And it's a little bit different because, you know, my husband is a white man. Mm-hmm. And there's a level of, so even before we got married, um, when we were dating and when we got engaged, there was a level of education that I had to put him through. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, different things that happened. So those things that I would normally go, mm-hmm, I'm letting that go. Mm-hmm. I had to go, you know what? I can let it go, but I've got to, I've got to um, educate. I've got to show you. You have to be able to see my perspective, see what's happening. Because if you can't see what's happening, you can't protect me from mm-hmm. what's happening 
right? Mm-hmm. And so there was a le- certain level of, of schooling that we had to go through where I was like, okay, you see what that <laughs> just happened just there? Mm-hmm. Let me explain to you why that happened that way and how it impacted, how it, it, it falls and why it falls this way. Mm-hmm. And so now sometimes he sees things you know, a little bit sooner than I do, mm-hmm. or he'll, you know, he'll be, he'll be harping and jumping on things like way before I am. And I'm mm-hmm. kind of like, okay, honey, whoa, <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, can't snap like that. Not like, you know, like I'll say, I'll say to him, honey, you just can't argue with everybody. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, everybody's just saying, he's like, yeah, but you know, these people, I'm like, welcome to my world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Welcome to our world. Welcome to the world where, you know, we encounter bigotry, we encounter discrimination, we encounter racists and racism at every turn. And we have to um, be able to filter and see, okay, right here, I need to address this because I feel that I can make a difference here. Mm -hmm. Someone's going to hear me here. And over here, you'd be like, you know what? Mm-hmm. I can't do anything about that right now because they are not ready. They don't, they don't even forget being able to hear. They're not even in the same room right now. So, you know, <laughs> just go. Just, otherwise, you're going to be expending energy and you're going to be turning purple and they're just going to be like, blah, 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 blah. You Very know? That's, that's all they're going to be hearing. They're going to be hearing the the peanuts. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Thank you so much for saying that. We're going to get a little bit more to your family dynamic and and after the little break here. I didn't expect us to dive in so hard at the beginning, but you know what? I think this is quintessential and very perfect about like how when two Black women get together and just understand it and just have this dialogue, like I could literally sit here and go like, oh, and this and this and this girl, and don't forget this part too. And like, and the people will be like, I've never even thought about half those things. I'm just like, sometimes y'all don't have to think about half those things. And mm-hmm. But I want to take a small break right here to let people digest and understand a little bit about what we were talking about. And then we can get into your Black story, your herstory, Miss Girl. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, I just want to throw um, a real quick trigger warning in in here before we go into the next section. The next few things we're going to be talking about um, will be a little bit heavy pertaining to abortion and cancer. So please um, protect yourselves. Trigger warning, trigger warning. Okay, here we go. All right, and so we are back with Sajrula Moruska. Zadrola. I'm gonna oh I'm gonna punch myself in the face. Oh my goodness. She, she said you made it perfect at the it's beginning. That I messed <laughs> it up. Um but anyway, so I would love for you to share with um uh, with our audience um about your black story, your history, your herstory, what um where'd you come from, your family dynamic, and you know, all these lovely, beautiful things. So go ahead. Okay. Well, way back in the Stone Age. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like she said, I'm like, I've been married for almost 20 years. I'm just like, Yush. <laughs> I'm like, she's been here, Jesus. But, you know, black uh, is beautiful. Yeah. We don't crack. Yes, God. So. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, 
So I was born in New York. I'm a New Yorker. I consider myself a New Yorker always, uh, even though I haven't lived in New York for, oh my goodness, going on about 20 years now. Uh, but I am the first born of three uh, biological children to my parents. And then when my aunt died, my mother's sister died, we had her two children come and they became part of our family. And so we are five. And being the eldest uh, always comes with a certain level of responsibility, right? Don't don't <laughs> so even like, get me started because I'm the oldest too, girl. And especially if you're the <gasps> especially if you're the oldest girl. Oh my goodness! Right? So it's always you know you always have it in the back of your mind that if I do this, what are the little ones gonna do? And you know all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I've grown up you know, being the eldest and being the responsible one and being the, the good girl and, and, and all of that. We moved a lot when we were little, when, when I, we were little, because my father um, immigrated from Haiti in 1968, mm. the January of 1968, my father came to this country mm. and my mother had come in June, July of 1967 mm-hmm. And I made my appearance in September of 68. So that's how quick they worked. <laughs> oh, come on. That means that means you just had a birthday. So happy birthday. Happy belated. Thank you. I did. I was 53 this year. And I'm so excited about it. Um, because not everybody can get to me. Mm, mm-hmm. No. And, and I feel like we have to be more proud. We have to be more thankful and grateful for the, every year that we we get to pass on this on this plane Mm -hmm. on this planet right Mm -hmm. so i was born in 1968 and we moved a lot and in that moving we found ourselves in 19 from 1977 the summer of 1977 to the summer of 1979 living in salt lake city utah oh wow and because my father was doing his doctorate at the University of Utah. Mm-hmm. And I was nine and 10 mm-hmm. at that time, the same age that my daughter is right now. Mm-hmm. And that age is where you're really coming into who you are, mm-hmm. what you're, you know, what you look like what you, what you, who you are in this world. And to come into that in an all white environment, because my Mm -hmm. brother and I were the only two black kids in our, I don't know, 300 kids school. Mm. And where we lived, we lived in university apartments and we were the only two black kids for a long time. And then another family moved in for a little bit and then they left. Mm. But to be in that environment at that time, I see that at that time was when I was questioning so much of the way that I look, mm-hmm. right? I would go in the bathroom and I remember going into the bathroom and um, pulling up my nose so that it could be thinner mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. so that it could look more like more petite. The, mm-hmm. Yes. More, more like the white girls that were mm-hmm. around me. Right. And I would ask my mom to, why can't I just wear my hair out? And my mom never wanted to say no, but at the same time, she knew that's a, that's, 
don't do that. <laughs> like you got, it's like you're not gonna make it, baby, if you do that. You don't do that, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But you know, so often, every so often, she would let me do it. But I never understood why my hair never fell the same way as the other girls around me. Mm-hmm. Nine and ten, we think that you know, nine and ten year olds know things, but you know, you're still coming into who you are, right? And so, you know, I, I remember feeling like, I don't understand why I'm black. Mm. Like, why am I black mm-hmm. and nobody else is? Right. I don't understand that. Thankfully, we didn't stay there. <laughs> <laughs> like, whoo! Dr. Bulliger. Okay. And we left and we went back to New York Mm -hmm. after being there. We went back to New York, New York City in Queens. And it was culture shock for me. It was like uh, there, I went to school and all of my classmates were black. Mm -hmm. And they were speaking a language that I had not heard Mm. before and that I didn't quite understand Mm -hmm. right away. Um, And they looked at me and they were like, well, you sound so white. And I was like, I don't even know what that means. Right. I have, I I resonate and I hear that. Um, I've told my story plenty of times on this show where it's kind of like the idea of I speak this language well, therefore I'm an outcast from my own community. And it's really interesting how... I think that I was telling my mother this literally the other day. It's interesting how the kids are a kid. My mother says kids are me, but I think kids are very clear and direct a lot of the times. Yes. And I think that's true. And they would say, Oh, you talk funny. And they're not being mean. They're just stating a fact because everyone around them may be using a certain dialect, um, AAV, a certain kind of way or whatever the case may be. And you mm-hmm. come in and say, hi, how are you? And they're just like, Mm. What? Right. What? Don't you don't you need stop? Like 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 that and they would look at you kind of like you're strange for that. And it take it I did the same kind of experience where it was culture shock for me as well. So even within your own community, you can have a culture shock. So I think that's important yes. for people to recognize as well. But you can continue. Yes, absolutely. And so I you know, so I was, and of course, still, we're within this age range, right, where uh, in middle school now, where mm. you're kind of still trying to figure out who who am I? How do I fit in here? Or how do I not fit in? Mm-hmm. I um, I began to understand, you know, mm-hmm. the, um, the vernacular that they were using. Mm-hmm. And it's normal to me now. Mm-hmm. I may not use it that often, but it it comes out every once in a while. It is it is the way that I speak when I'm really relaxed mm-hmm. because I really understand what it is. Right. And sometimes words come up when people are, are talking and even if it doesn't fit within the, the, the conversation that we're talking about, I understand where it's coming from. Right. Like I understand exactly what it means, mm-hmm. means you know, and so... I, I learned that, but it wasn't my natural way of speaking. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't something that I took on and, and spoke. But, I, but you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that people have a tendency to diminish the ways that people talk coming from different 
places, mm-hmm. right? Um, I don't think that that's right. I think that people speak to be understood mm-hmm. in the communities in which they are. Right. And so just because you don't understand it, just because you don't understand another language doesn't mean that that person is stupid. It mm-hmm. just means maybe you need a little bit more information, right. right? If you're coming into their community, their country, and you're thinking that they need to speak your language, and if they don't, then they're stupid. No, 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 no. Oh. We need to switch, you know, we need to flip that script and know that you are the one that is out of place. Mm-hmm. You are the one that is out of order. You need to learn to understand what is being said. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so I spent, so I grew up, so we went back to New York. I turned 11 when we, that summer that we went back to New York mm-hmm. and I stayed there until I went to college. And mm-hmm. so I went middle school and high school in New York, um, made some great friends, yeah. went to, um, um, private school, religious school mm. when I was there. Oh, baby. <laughs> and then I always, you know, it wasn't Catholic, but still it oh. was, it was, um, I couldn't see it at the time. And my parents were doing the best that they thought was mm-hmm. best at the time. Mm-hmm. But when I look back, I see how there was a lot of indoctrination. Mm. Right. right. That, that, that happens, that goes into it, make sure. And which is natural for them. That's just naturally what you're going to do mm-hmm. because you want to raise the next generation of the church kids right. or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. And so I did that. And I also went to a private college. Oh, okay. Same way. Mm-hmm. Then it, after I, after college, I went back home and that was when the, that was the summer that my aunt died on a, a year later mm. is when my aunt died. And so her kids came to live with us and my brother graduated that same year. So I was like the two of us being the, the two oldest, my brother's two years younger than me. Mm-hmm. I was like, we need to, we need to figure our way out. We need to, you know, we mm. need to seed some space. Right. So we did. We so it's funny is my brother and I. My brother was always my best friend. My because mm-hmm. wherever we moved, I always had my brother. So I didn't worry about what friends I was leaving behind or anything. I always had my brother. So the two of us always kind of did things together. So we decided that we were going to move to Philadelphia. That was the first idea. Mm-hmm. We drove from Massachusetts, where my parents were living at the, um, then mm-hmm. and still are and where I live, but we drove from Massachusetts down to Philadelphia. We got to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania at night Uh-oh. <laughs> and we were like, Ooh, yikes. We were like, I don't know about this. <laughs> like this might not be what we think it's going to be. <laughs> this might not be the place. <laughs> and so we both thought, this just didn't, it didn't feel right for mm-hmm. either of us. So then we were like, okay, we have, we have enough money. My dad was with us. We were like, we have enough money to keep driving to one more place, one more place. Where do you want to go? Mm-hmm. So we're like, okay, let's go to Atlanta. Mm. So we drove down to Atlanta. We really liked Atlanta. So we stayed in Atlanta, the two of us together, and we got an apartment. And it was 
it was a recession year. Mm. And so it was really hard to find jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, we moved to two different apartments. And then um, I got a job. But my brother had a hard time finding a job. So he went back to New York and I stayed in Atlanta. Mm. <clears throat> and I lived in Atlanta for five years. All by yourself? And, uh, well, you know what? After my brother left, my friend from college, Tony, came mm. and he became my roommate. Okay. And then my cousin came. Um, her, so I had two male roommates, mm-hmm. which I absolutely loved that. It was it was great. Mm. Um, and he came and he lived with me for a bit. And then uh, after Tony moved out and Herman uh, moved out and got married, so I ended up, yes, at, at some point I was there by myself, living in an apartment by myself. Oh, bless your heart. That it's, I, I know, especially moving um, away from the family at such a high capacity. And it's, you know, I, I already feel like in certain spaces, we're just not welcomed at the same gravity as other folks and things like that. So whenever I tell people about like, oh, where I would move or where I would travel to and things like that, I'm always like, I need people that I know to be there so I can, <laughs> so I can, so I can feel a little bit more secure. You know, I, um, yes. rather it be friends, preferably family, but if I have friends there who are going to kind of anchor me in some capacity, that would be my thing. That would give me a little bit more hope and comfort. So I applaud you for being there and being comfortable after kind of getting set up with um, your previous roommates and friends. So Yeah, thanks. Yeah, no. Um, and it turns out that I became an anchor there and a lot of my friends from college actually moved down there after me. Mm. Um, including one of my best friends, she came, she lived with me for a little bit and then she found her place and she's got married, she's got two kids and she's still in Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. Um, yeah, so during the time that I was there, so I lived there for five years. So my brother left after a year, and then I had roommates for a year and a half, I think. And then so I lived on my own for two and a half years, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that time, or maybe three, oh, I can't quite remember. You know, yeah. it's way back then. Way back then. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, during that time, was another real turning point for me in my Mm. life. And it was something that uh, I didn't realize was a turning point for me, or I didn't realize how much it affected the, 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 the trajectory of my life until about a year and a half ago when Mm. I was really looking deeply and trying to figure out my, my own story. Like you said, what's Mm. your, her story, Mm. Um, what's your black story. And while I was there, um, I met a man, mm-hmm. and it when we initially met, he told me he wasn't married, mm. and I think somewhere in the back of my mind, I knew that he was lying, mm. but I didn't heed that small voice. Mm. Um, turns out he was married, and I got pregnant. Mm. And when I got pregnant, you know, so there's something you just, sometimes you just look back at some things and you just go, man, and you have to forgive yourself. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> no, and I, I, I understand it's very, this is the introspective slash retrospective things of just like, ugh, 
I yes. would have I would have done X, Y, and Z differently at that junction. Like at yes. that moment, I would have done X, Y, and Z different. But the fact that you're thinking about it now and thinking about how things could have changed and and such and so forth, it's really informs who you are at this point in time, which is a very important thing. Because then you get yeah. to spread what you've learned and what you've gained from said experience to other folks in a positive manner. Right. Right. Yeah. I think about it and when I think about it, because it's not like it's something that haunts me, but I think about it and I, it's really interesting to me how, you know, I look at it and I go, I have to remind myself, you were only 24. Mm -hmm. You were only 25. You know, you were 26. You have to forgive that younger self. Mm-hmm. You have to forgive. You have to let go of whatever shame, whatever guilt, whatever you felt then because you because you have to move beyond it. Mm-hmm. So I got pregnant and um, 20 weeks in, I... I had fibroids. So 20 weeks in, one of my fibroids went into degeneration. Now, this mm-hmm. is something that I didn't know at the time, of mm-hmm. course, I, because I wasn't trying to get pregnant. And so mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about fibroids. I didn't know anything about, um, I knew how you could get pregnant. And I knew, I knew when it happened mm-hmm. because I did know what windows right. mm-hmm. were right. And I didn't, um, I didn't plan to get pregnant. Right. Um, it was something that happened because he did not let me know that he was coming. Mm-hmm. And so he just went on ahead and I was <laughs> like, you, sh- you, sh- you should have put a condom on. Right. That you should have put a condom on. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so at twin, at 19 weeks, I sat my, my, Fibroid went into degeneration mm-hmm. and it caused my uterus to begin to contract. Mm-hmm. And the, I called the doctor and I said, I ha- I'm having these pains. And um, they said, okay, well, you just need to rest. Well, I had to work. Oh. So I went to work. <laughs> you know, when you're on your own, you just, you got to work, Baby. right? Baby, just push <laughs> through it, black woman. Just, you're fine. Just keep pushing through it. Girl, so then I called again. I said, Look, I'm really having a lot of pain. They said, Well, you know, are you bleeding? I said, No. They said, Well, you should be fine. Mm. I called a third time, and this woman had the nerve to say to me, Well, why didn't you come in before? (laughs) And I, Bitch, I'm sorry. I was like, y'all told me, y'all said mm-hmm. that it was okay. And I, and I was calling because I wanted to know if it was okay if I could take an ibuprofen because I was in so much pain, mm-hmm. right? Well, why didn't you call before? You need to come in right away. Fine. Mm-hmm. So I go in. And the doctor comes in and he examines me and he says, oh, your cervix is open Mm. and your amniotic sac is hanging. Mm. 
And so we're going to have to keep you in the hospital and we're going to put you um, upside down, which is when your bed is slanted, mm-hmm. but your head is de- lower than your hips. Mm-hmm. That way they were trying to get the gravity to pull back mm-hmm. so that they could go in and do a cerclage, which is the sewing up closed of your cervix mm-hmm. so that you could go through the rest of the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, okay, let's do what we got to do. I'm here to have this baby, right? right? I'm here. I'm he- I, I've already gone through 19 weeks. Mm-hmm. I've gone through all of the tell your parents and, and cry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've gone through all of that. So <laughs> I'm, I'm good. We're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I was about 27 years old. Mm-hmm. 27 years old is an adult woman. Mm-hmm. I looked... I could have looked between 16 and 18, mm-hmm. right? I mean, because you're looking at me right now and people look at me and they go, you're what? I'm like, yes. Because right? that skin, you look, mm-mm. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so at the time, I looked really young, mm-hmm. but I was taking care of my own business. I was doing my, I was working. I had insurance, mm-hmm. you know, all these things. But the nurses that were taking care of me were not forget, especially one nurse in particular. She was not very, um, she was not very impressed mm-hmm. with the fact that there was no father around mm-hmm. and that I was having this baby. Mm-hmm. And she made that very clear in no uncertain terms. Mm-hmm. And you know, at the time, I you know, I I remember one time when I was laying in this position. Everything, gravity is pulling everything down. So I was having a very hard time peeing mm-hmm. um, in the the bedpan right. that they would bring me. Mm-hmm. And I said, I have having a really hard time peeing. Mm-hmm. And so uh, she came in and she saw that I wasn't drinking anything mm-hmm. because I was having a hard time peeing. Right. I was like, fine, drink more. And she said to me, um, you need to drink more. Don't you care about your baby? Hmm. And I thought to myself. Again. Bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's like, are you fucking kidding me right now? Mm -hmm. I'm laying up in this fucking hospital upside down. Basically, I'd been there for about a week and a half. Mm-hmm. And I and, and, and in my mind, I had decided that no matter how long I needed to lay there, I was going to lay there. I'm going to save my baby. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm going to save my baby. And you got the nerve to come up in here and ask me if I don't care anything about my baby. I'm going through something very traumatic right now. Mm-hmm. I'm laying here. You know that I am in the process of losing this baby. If I didn't care about this baby, I'd have just up and left the hospital and been like, whatever, Mm -hmm. right? But I didn't do that. But you are projecting whatever bias you have, whatever you're thinking, Mm -hmm. whatever kind of, you know, oh, here goes another one having a baby we're going to have to take care of. Mm -hmm. Bullshit that is not true Mm -hmm. because I I had and I still have a very strong support. Mm-hmm. I knew that I wasn't going to be falling through the cracks. Nobody's cracks. Mm-hmm. 
but she felt entitled. Medical racism, people. Mm, this is mm-hmm. and that right. and the bedside manner, bang. Right. right. Go ahead. Instead I'm... of instead of considering the situation that I was in, she felt it was more important for her to uh, microaggress against me mm-hmm. with the feelings that she's having. It's your feelings don't matter to me right about now while I'm laying here upside down. Can't even poop so I have to have a stool softener because everything is going backwards mm. you know mm-hmm. and so I my water broke and I mm. did end up having a miscarriage mm. that I had to birth without you know I had I had to go through um contractions and pushing and all of that for a baby that was not could not be viable mm. at 20, 21 weeks. I am so sorry. Um, yeah. I, it's, I, you know. I, I can't even imagine. And this is one of those things about reproductive health rights and things like that. Right. I am. I, um, mm-hmm. I know my place and there's no point in time I'm going to overstep any of those boundaries. And um, I appreciate you telling even this much of your story and I really appreciate it. Like I want to cry. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Trust, trust me. It's taken a while before I could actually even say the words without crying. Mm. Um, you know, when I, when I was going back and trying to figure out my story and I realized that this is, this is, this is where my, so in that moment without knowing my inner spirit or my light mm-hmm. kind of went out. Mm-hmm. And because I decided that as a firstborn, what kind of a, what kind of a, you know, mm-hmm. role model are you being mm-hmm. right? As the daughter to my parents, you're putting them through all of this, mm-hmm. you know, why are you doing this? And as a religious um, idea, you, you should be ashamed. Mm. You, you, sh- you knew better. You should, you know, there were all these things at play right. that I don't think that I ever really confronted until a few years ago. Mm. Because when I came to this and I realized this is where, this is where everything came to a screeching halt mm-hmm. for me. Because people would say to me prior to that, um, at work, they would be like, Girl, I know I'm going to see you on the cover of Essence one of these days. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Oh, you're just going to, you're, man, you, you're going to be the doing one. The thing. Mm-hmm. You're going to, right? And it all came to a screeching halt at that point. I never heard those things after that. Mm-hmm. Because after that, I became safe. Mm-hmm. After that, I moved by default. After that, I kind of said, you know, I'm not going to shame myself. I'm not going to shame my parents. I'm not going to rock the boat. I'm not going to push too hard. Um, now, don't get me wrong. I had a fun and enjoyable life. But I think back to that time and the potential that was there and where the things, the ideas and the things that I was doing, I would be in a whole different place right now. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, so that happened. And then 
you know, and in, and in that time, in the 20 years, so mm-hmm. I was 27 years old, 20, mm-hmm. 27 years old. Mm-hmm. And in the 20 years in that, that span, mm-hmm. right, I got married. I had children. I moved to California. I moved back to Massachusetts. I lived in New York City. I traveled with myself and I traveled with friends and family and, and all of that stuff. And and then and then I got cancer mm. in 2017. I was diagnosed. Mm. And when I was diagnosed, that was my wake up call. That was my girl, what you think you're doing with your life right now? Mm-hmm. Right? That was the that was the catalyst for a major change. Mm-hmm. That's where I even realized that really, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Because there were two questions that came up. One was, what's going to happen to my children if I die? Mm-hmm. And the other one was, if I don't die, what the hell am I doing with my life mm-hmm. that I am very proud of right now? Right. And the answer to the second question was nothing. I have, I'm, I'm good. I'm safe. I'm I'm happy, I'm going along, but what am I doing that's lighting up my soul? Mm. Nothing. And so that, so when I look at it that way, when I, when I see it that way, I think to myself, you know what, maybe that's what cancer came to tell me Mm. because, because I don't know if I've ever said this to anyone outside my family, but I believe that my daughter came to save my ass from the jerk that I was with. Mm, mm -hmm. Because when I told him that I was pregnant, he said, well, don't keep it because it's mine. Mm -hmm. And I thought, it's mine. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Like, when did it get inside of your body? You know what I mean? Like, hmm. you know what I mean? That's, that's the arrogance and the, you know, entitlement. And Mm. it, yes. And so, I, so I realized that maybe that's what cancer came to say. Cancer said, okay, you've had your vacation. Now it's time to really do what it is you came here to do. Mm. Because you only have a little limited amount of time in this, on this earth, on this plane, the mm-hmm. way, as we know it, as we see it. Mm-hmm. You only have a limited amount of time. What are you going to do so that you can make an actual difference mm. later on for others later on? And so I said, well, if since, because the day that I was diagnosed, the day that I was diagnosed, I called my sister when I was going downstairs to get a blood, um, blood drawn. Mm-hmm. And this, it was the same, like I just finished the meeting. My husband had, you know, just left to go to work and I was, I went downstairs to get my blood drawn and I said to her in the conversation, I said to her, you know, I don't think that this has come to kill me. I said, it's just come to teach me something and Mm -hmm. I need to be open to what it's come to teach me. Mm -hmm. Right. And then I had my blood drawn and I went and told my parents. So knowing that has driven the, way that I live now. Mm-hmm. Like I stay open and I'm like, where am I supposed to go? Let me, let me just stay open and stay fluid. Mm-hmm. 
with whatever comes and whatever needs to happen. And then we'll just, we'll see what that means. Right. right? And so here I am. (laughs) (laughs) And I am eternally grateful for you being here. Um, Just even sitting here listening to the story and getting things you've never said to other folks outside your family. I feel so blessed and privileged to have your words and that you're sharing it with our audience. And the backdrop of your entire life as a Black woman leaving, leading up to this point and everything that you've experienced is paramount in the situation. And yeah. I, um, I want to commend you on facing everything that you've been through and surpassing it and taking it and turning the perspective around and not looking at it as so negative. And it may have taken quite a bit of time, Yeah. but I really find that we were talking about being strong black women at the beginning. <laughs> and I, I think it's important for people to literally see what it is that we go through. And this is just, you know, just parts of what we go through. This is not even the everyday stuff. This, these are right. Yeah, it's the, it's the, yeah, it's the, you know, I mean, all of those things, all of those, those areas that I, that I've brought you through. Those are the big milestones. Those are the, the, the ones that stand out to me as those really fork in the road kind of situations. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? But on an everyday basis, and, and those are the ones who that kind of inform a lot of who I am or how I raise my children or um, the way I am as a friend or, mm-hmm. or any of that. But, you know, on an everyday level, there are, you know, different things right. that, that happen all the time. I can be a strong Black woman and that doesn't mean I'm hard. I can be soft. Like we were saying, Mm -hmm. right. I can be an independent woman, but that doesn't mean that I don't need anybody because I have a lot of people that I, I rest on or that I rely on. Um, What it means is that when we go out into the world and people see that they think that, you know, they can trot all over us, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. they can just, they can take and not give. And whenever you, whenever you simply take but you don't give you stop the flow you stop the flow of life you stop the flow of love Mm. you stop the flow of giving right it has to be a give and take so a lot of that gets just gets stagnant it Mm. just sits there right you know of course you have of course there you know different times when i was in salt lake you know a nine-year-old running around playing with friends playing run catch and kiss (laughs) <laughs> and nobody wanted to catch the black girl right, right? Mm-hmm. and as soon as you know a friend paused the game and said look you guys we're all playing this game right and mm-hmm. one little boy had the, the strength to catch me kiss me quickly and that was the end of the game mm. that was it no more playing you know so what does that inform me? Right. How does that inform me? Mm-hmm. Right? Does that tell me that I'm valuable, that I'm loved, that I, you know? Right. No, it tells me that there's something wrong with me mm-hmm. because I'm black and you're white and you don't want to kiss me. Mm-hmm. Because what do you think? You think it's going to rub off? 
you think you're going to turn, get a wart? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I mean, I don't know what that means, but when you're 10, these are the things you ask yourself. Right. Like, what, why, why am I playing and no one is actually playing with me? Right. Like, I'm in this game, but no one's actually playing with me. Right. It, it definitely immediately informs a lot of how you see yourself. Right. In this world and how people interact with you. you. I like to think a lot of times that we have the most highest self-esteem and the highest regard for ourselves, especially if we're coming, coming from a loving, affirming environment. Right. But when you get to face into the world and people, they may not say, oh, I don't want to touch you or I don't want to interact with you because of whatever, something, whatever. whatever they may have heard at home or TV or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just makes you feel like, gosh. If this is how it's going to be out here, why do I want mm-hmm. to, you know, allow myself to be vulnerable to these people out here? Thus, right. from thus from a very early stage, you're creating your own shell to protect yourself, and right. thus the uh, the idea of being a strong black woman is instantly created. And I'm like, I'm nine. I'm just trying to fucking play a game with my peers, <laughs> like. And you shouldn't, and these processes and these thoughts shouldn't even be um, created. And not that I had an experience as far as being a young little girl in that capacity, but mm-hmm. being a, having a queer identity, I resonate with that as well. So mm-hmm. I um, Right. And I can, you know, I can only imagine, I remember when you were on, on Diversity Dish and you were talking about how you didn't have the language. Mm-hmm. You didn't have the language to say what you were feeling or or, or to express who you were. Mm-hmm. And I felt that. Like, I felt that deeply because I I understand how you just, you, it, because a lot of the words that we throw around now, and some of them we throw around improperly, but we throw them around anyway. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the words that we have now, we didn't use back then. Right. We didn't have back then. Mm-hmm. Right? And so there was, there was no way for you to say Mm-hmm. express who you were with without you know the word right and it's kind of the same thing because I'm like how do I explain to you little white child mm-hmm. what you have just done to me little black child right. when I don't even understand why I feel the way that I feel or you feel the way that you feel or you think the way that you think and you know I mean there's just so much there right and so that's why I think it's so important it's sad actually, that racism has created Mm -hmm. this separation. An instant barrier. Instant barrier Mm -hmm. that makes it so that we don't get it, Mm -hmm. right? We're often on our side going, oh my God, it's so obvious. Why would they do that? That's just so mean or that's just so rude or that's just so, that's fucked up, Mm -hmm. right? And they're on their side going, I don't, I don't, under, I don't, I don't know what they're All talking about. The you question know? marks and the math problems. They're like, oh, it's, it's this. Yes. And, and, and it's legit because why would they? Mm-hmm. Everything is set up in a way for, for it to work for them. Right. When we're just, you know, we're just coming out. I don't know if you saw this, um, this article about the wonder years you know they remade the wonder years Mm. with the black family Mm -hmm. and the wonder years used to be a a white family Mm. and there are white people who are having their heads explode 
because now we're telling the story from the black perspective. Mm-hmm. Mind you, this is 1968. This kid is growing up in. He's 10 years old in 1968. Mm-hmm. I was born in 1968. 1968 was a tumultuous year mm-hmm. in our history. Mm-hmm. But they don't teach that, mm-hmm. right? And so they're watching these things play out and they're like, well, it's just racist. No, it's not racist. It's America. <laughs> it's it's, it's, it's it, just it's, how things are. Isn't it funny? It's kind of like, so you get it. You you So you see it and you understand it, but all of a sudden it's like, it's, it's, I think I always think about how baffling that is for them to be like, it's racist. I'm like, yeah, but when we say it, apparently it has less validation. It's not as accurate. It's not as true. Um, and that's what it is, right? They don't, we watch television and we have to relate to all the white people that we see on the television. Mm-hmm. Or the slightly adjacent light-skinned black person <laughs> with curly hair. You're just like, I guess I'm going to be that one. <laughs> They watch something that is meant to speak to our story or that tells it from our perspective Mm -hmm. and it's racist. Mm. But you know what's really interesting? It's racist because it shows them being racist to us. Mm -hmm. And they have a hard time processing that Mm -hmm. or it's, it's, cognitive right they have a hard time saying oh that's how we it feels Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's error 404 syntax errors like this (laughs) like this is it what i it's like i'm feeling emotions outside you know it's 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 that one little step further and I think that cognitive dissonance that syntax error or whatever they're having at the moment just The 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 surmounting of that, I guess, as it were, the the going over that and going like, oh, this is what they feel like. I don't like mm-hmm. how this feels. Maybe mm. I should change something. But that mm. that that feeling, that cognitive dissonance, that uncomfortableness, it's easier to go. Okay, I'm just gonna not talk right. about it. It's easier to say, well, I don't see color. I don't have a problem with black people. It's much easier to say those kind of things Absolutely. rather than just addressing it. So. Absolutely. I definitely understand and resonate with that. And, you know, for the the white friends that I do have, the folks that I'm close to that are actually actively trying to do the work and understand mm-hmm. those kind of things, they've gone through the dissonance. And, you know, not to say that the dissonance is like this one thin layer. There are multiple layers that have, multiple. To, be, mm-hmm, that have to be gone through and understood in that kind of capacity. And um, I think that's just so important. And to go along with that, I'm going to kind of shift our gears since, you uh-huh. know, this this conversation is my sickening. Like, I, I cannot wait to post this episode. I'm so excited. <laughs> but um, you've already mentioned your beautiful podcast, award-winning. Yes, the, award-winning. Yes, the Academy of Interactive and Visual Arts. W3 has awarded your podcast with gold status this time yes. around. Diversity Dish for diversity, equity, and inclusion. So this is fresh, fresh. So congratulations. Thank you. I'm so excited about it. And, you know, it just kind of goes along with with those things where you're like, you're staying open, you're going in the direction that feels right. And once it 
once you kind of get to that place, you kind of know that you're there because all of a sudden things just start coming. Mm -hmm. Things just start working out. And that's, and that's where I am. And it's so, so exciting. Thank you. Of course. So So can you tell people kind of how you came to this conclusion of like, I'm going to start this podcast or like, did it have origins way back in the day where you're like, I'm going to start this idea now because I like this. So can you tell us kind of how we got to Diversity Dish? Yes. I did not have this idea like ages ago. Mm. It had never even crossed my mind to have a podcast before August of last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think what happened was I became, I, I went on a friend's podcast. I was a guest on a friend's podcast. Mm-hmm. And during the summer, I'd been doing a show on Instagram, a live show called Wednesday Wind Down, mm-hmm. Wind Down Wednesday, and where I would bring Black female entrepreneurs on, mm-hmm. and they would talk about their businesses, what they had going on. And it was a way for me to help promote their businesses. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, all the stuff that was going on last year, the pandemic, George Floyd, mm-hmm. Breonna Taylor, and... And the, all those things. And the countless others. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the, and the, so many, so many. And I felt that the conversations were, were weird. Mm-hmm. Like people were using words. They didn't even understand what the words meant. Mm-hmm. And they were, they were throwing them around like confetti. And, and I was so frustrated with that. And mm-hmm. I said, you know what? People just need to talk. Mm-hmm. And people just need to listen. People need to listen and hear and understand some of the things that they don't necessarily want to listen to in their everyday lives, but that would really inform the way that they worked with people. Right. Mm -hmm. So my, so my initial idea was to call it uh, cubicle conversations Okay. because I was going to focus it on work situations, Mm -hmm. cubicle conversations, thankfully was taken. (laughs) <laughs> there is a podcast out there called Cubicle Conversation. Work. And so I went to my clan, my my family, mm-hmm. and I said, family, and I'd already talked to them that I was doing this, getting ready to do this podcast. It was maybe, I want to say it was four weeks from the time I decided to do a podcast to when I released, because I released on my birthday last year. Mm-hmm. And I said, I need a new name. Help me out here. I have, I, I'm, I have no idea. And my uncle, quote unquote, he's my uncle. He, he married my, my aunt, but my aunt is only four years older than me. She's oh. my mother's youngest sister. Mm-hmm. And my uncle is the same age as me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he 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 threw it out there, Diversity Dish. And other people threw out other names. I kept coming back to Diversity Dish. I was like, I could on those words so much Mm -hmm. and with the theme and the story so I said okay that's what I'm gonna call it Mm. but it was born of a need and a desire to have conversations Mm -hmm. talk to people about their experiences talk to people about their encounters with equity inclusion diversity social justice Mm -hmm. talk to people about their what their thoughts were their solutions were what you know different things and that's where that's where it came from. And I solicited friends and family to start. And then I would just go out there and like you see people who are doing stuff out there. And I was like, hey, you want to be on? Because 
because you're a black woman, you're a black trans woman. And I think that people don't really know enough about that. Mm-hmm. Or I'm, um, I have an interview that's going to be coming up next year with an, um, a black autistic woman mm-hmm. and people don't know enough about that. Mm-hmm. I've had an interview that come through with um, a black autistic man mm-hmm. and I'm actually doing a bonus episode this week for him because he has a book coming out oh, okay. on Friday. So on Thursday, I'm going to air this little short episode that we did together to promote his book. But I feel like that's what I'm here for. Like mm-hmm. I'm here to help amplify voices mm-hmm. to help get conversations out there that people may not know of the things that are happening, right? right? People may, they don't know because they're not in the mix, Mm -hmm. but if they hear it, maybe they'll look at it differently when they go to work and say, Oh, I wonder if that's how she's feeling because of this or that's how he's feeling because of that. Right. If you just kind of, it's just to plant seeds, but I'm hoping that, you know, those will grow and that's, that's diversity dish. So we have fun. Yes. Oh gosh. <laughs> I and I like like you mentioned, I was definitely a guest on the show. Um, I'm so happy. And now if you want me to be back on again, you know, I, okay. <laughs> I am not, I am not yes. opposed to that, but I really loved it. I was so happy that you reached out to me um on one of the previous episodes we just had on the podcast, another young black woman, Tyler Bradley. Um, you know, just making these connections with other black women and trying to figure out how we can work together to amplify yes. each other's voices, to carry yes. on the lineage of what we, what needs to be carried on. And mm-hmm. I think the most important thing, of course, is just, like you said, planting the seeds. I had an episode a little while ago where I was talking about the goal of, for what I do in this podcast, in this space, and anything that I do is not to say, you need to believe what I believe, but I'm right. trying to say, I want you to look at it from this perspective. Have right. you thought about it from this angle? Um, these, the, and then when that angle is now in a new position, maybe when you plant the seed, the sunlight will grow on it and it'll sprout into something. And then mm-hmm. it can, you'll finally start to see things in a certain kind of way. And, you know, I know you will never be able to fully ex- understand the experiences at which we go through as black people, for some folks, as women, as trans folks, as queer, and, and the list goes on and on. Mm-hmm. There are multiple things that we will never be able to fully comprehend and understand as we haven't had those experiences. But it's important to be respectful and acknowledge the fact that their experiences are valid in their experience. And right. We, and we definitely must say, like, all right. I understand that in this particular structure that we are living in as society, as it pertains to society, I have this much whatever. I have this much privilege. I have this much power. I have this much access. I have this much Mm -hmm. resources. And it doesn't take away for someone else existing at their fullness to take, it doesn't take anything away from me. The, you know, I think the idea of capitalism is so hard where it's like, if someone gives me something, it has to be the same exact thing. And that means if I don't do that, that means something's being taken away from me. And it's like, that's not how this works. Mm -hmm. And I just, I want to echo the fact of what you're doing on your show is very closely related and very similar in a lot Mm -hmm. of ways to what we do, to what we do here on uh, Black to the Future as well. So Mm -hmm. that's why this meshes so well. And I'm, I'm immensely grateful for you being on the show. Um, Words cannot even begin to express 
how oh, much gratitude and you know the the strength and the the honesty and the transparency of your of your story that you that you told and it's beautiful and um you're an amazing person and i'm so happy and so honored and privileged to know you oh thank you so much i i feel really honored to be um on on your show and thank you for doing what you do. I, I, I knew from the moment I saw you, I was like, this one, this one right here. I need to, <laughs> I need to contact this one. Um, and so I so appreciate you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been so much fun talking to you. Yay, I'm so happy. Oh my God. I can't, like I said, I cannot wait to release this episode. But, um, can you please... Um, tell everyone where they could find your podcast, where they can follow you on social medias, all that kind of stuff. So we can help affirm and uplift and promote what you're doing on your end. Yes. Uh, I am at Cedrola, which is S-E-D-R-U-O-L-A, Maruska, M-A-R-U-S-K-A.com. And I am also uh, Cedrola on Instagram, Cedrola on Twitter, and Cedrola Maruska on Facebook. Uh, right now, what I'm working on, um, I have a group coaching program that is geared toward helping people figure their strengths, take their strengths, what they're really, really good at, and take their passions, what they're really, really excited about, and intersect those and use those in social justice. Mm. I think that what happens is so many people look at the work that needs to be done and they they dabble in different areas feeling like they have to do all the things mm. and they forget that a laser is much stronger than a flashlight. Mm. So what I want to do is to get your strengths, intersect it with your passion and find your laser lane so that you can affect the most change. So for example, if you're a hairdresser and you are passionate about hair and makeup and you know all those things mm -hmm. how do you use that to affect change right. well take a look at your salon are you catering to all women or are you just catering to a small number of women because mm. if you're catering to a small number of women there is a lot of room for you to open that up and be a beacon to others that says hey look if we work together I have a black, uh, I have some black hair stylists. I have some Hispanic hair stylists. I have some white hair stylists, mm -hmm. and I have people who can do natural hair. I have people who can do uh, black hair, mm -hmm. um, black hair care. Mm -hmm. Not just you know, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> we on the on, on the on episode. I think it's episode thirty-five, the Black Regal Hair episode. We talked all about that, baby. So okay, please go so back and listen. So go ahead. Yes, I'm just saying, if that's where your passion lies, if that's if you're really great at it, and that's where your passion lies, look at that. You got a place to affect change. Mm -hmm. You don't have to go out everywhere else and you know donate a little money here and donate a little money there and then still stay within your white centric hair salon mm. saying i'm i'm doing the work or i'm being an ally no that's not how you do it mm. how you do it is you give people an opportunity mm -hmm. you open it up and what will happen then 
Ooh, the profits, girl. The revenue, the things that everybody cares oh, about, oh. the monies, the coins, miss you like you'll get oh. it if you open it, up the doors. That's right. Open it up. Make it so that anybody that walks through your door can be serviced by you. Mm-hmm. You will have more you will have more people coming through your door than you can know what to do with. Right. And 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 such an and like you said, you don't have to go out into the world to like no. I, I always tell people like what are you good at and apply That's that exactly right. to what you're going like I like for me like even when the protests were happening last year I'm like I'm not the girl to be out there in the protest what can I do with my power my privilege and these kind of things what do I have my hands on what do I have access to how can I make change in the way that I know how to yeah. that's my skill set that I enjoy combining and Okay, we're going to go out forever. Oh, Jesus. Right. And you know what? And the thing about that is then then you realize how, even if it's hard Mm -hmm. and it's frustrating, how much joy you can have in making that change. Yes. How much joy you can have in affecting social change because you're doing it in a way that lights you up. So I want to help. I want to coach. It's group coaching. So I do a 20 person cohort because I want those 20 people to create synergy within themselves so that they're helping each other. Oh, this is what you do. I know this, 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 and this, and the other thing, Mm -hmm. right? And this is open for anybody. It could be black, white, whoever, Mm -hmm. right? Um, As long as you want to make a change, as long as you want to help in the social realm of things, because the different perspectives is what's needed. Right, the perspectives like you were and talking your about. Mm-hmm. Just do it. <sighs> oh my goodness. Okay, I, I, we could talk forever. And I, again, I just want to say <laughs> thank you and so much. Um, this this story has really impacted me and just helped me again perceive things that are very much outside my scope. And I think that's the the crux of this mm-hmm. show is that I don't know everything and I'm going to be available to it. So I appreciate you sharing and everyone who's listening, everyone underneath the sound of my voice. And I would like for you all to go down to the comments, um, to, you know, show some love, please. And also go into the description of this episode and click links, uh, find Sadrula's uh, information, contacts, all this stuff, because we want to make sure we continue to uplift and empower each other. So Thank you so much again for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Zay. It's my pleasure. Of course. And we will see you all on another lovely episode of Black to the Future. Thank you all so much for tuning in to Black to the Future. Yes, thank you for joining us. And if you want to continue the conversation with us, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Black to the Future Podcast. And don't forget to use the hashtag Black to the Future Podcast as well. Share the content and please leave positive reviews. Yeah, hola. <laughs> and we will see y'all in the future. Don't you mean Black to the Future? Oh, I guess you're right. We'll see y'all black to the future. future.